This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Hopefully you are staying warm. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo on the Pipeline podcast as the top 100 prospect list has been unveiled. It was on Saturday night on MLB Network. We're going to dive into that list here on the podcast this week. And and I know it's cold everywhere, but Jim, you're in the heart of it. Chicago, Illinois, kind of ground zero as far as this cold spell goes. How you doing? Um, doing okay. Like I, I was saying before we came on the air, it's, it's we're up to negative sixteen right now. The, the, the most worrisome part of it was, it is so cold that your house makes really, really strange sounds. It sounds like almost like beams are breaking, uh, just because I guess the air is so dry. So like, I didn't go to bed till about three because it felt like our our roof was going to collapse or something. But um, in terms of actually going outside today, we're up to negative sixteen with our wind chills in the low negative 40s um but I, i've been out briefly a couple times with my dogs and it is not as horrible as that might sound so we're we're, we're surviving okay i guess i guess it means he's it's uh, ground below zero then exactly ah, well nice. done thank well you thank done. you very much keep thinking spring training thoughts i guess that's what we'll do and it's a little colder for you jonathan than it is here in new york but my apartment always makes those noises because it's a new york city apartment Jim, so <laughs> i know i know what you mean all right let's get into this top 100 list and i want to start by just talking about the top 10 i'll rattle them off quickly um no real surprises these are your big time prospects and a lot of them ready to make their way to the big leagues number one vladimir guerrero jr Number two, Fernando Tatis Jr. Aloy Jimenez is number three. Victor Robles, four. Royce Lewis, five. Nick Senzel, six. Forrest Whitley of the Astros, seven. And Kyle Tucker of the Astros right behind him at eight. Alex Kirilov, nine. And Brendan Rodgers, ten. So a couple of Astros, uh, a couple of twins on the list as well. Um, I'm going to go to you first, Jonathan. When you look at this list, it's pretty likely, I think, Eight of these 10 guys are going to graduate in 2019. The only ones who probably won't are Lewis and Kirilov, the twins. So this is a great list of of players because not only are they super talented, but they're ready to go at the big league level. Yeah, it's kind of an exciting combination because sometimes you have guys that are are ready at the big league level and they're good, but they're not elite level. And, you know, these guys have been highly rated for a while as we've followed their progress, uh, some of them very quickly through the minors. The amazing thing is, is that it's not like we're looking at 24-year-olds who are going to graduate. You know, you've got, you know, Vladdy and Tatis and Eloy. They're, they're all ye- really young. Uh, Robles is still young, even though I feel like we've been writing about him and talking about him forever. So it, it's an exciting time because there's a chance for these guys to make a huge impact in the big leagues uh, at, a, at an incredibly young age, which, you know, if things go as – we project them to be, uh, we project them to go, it gives them a chance to have a really long elite level career. Yeah. And I was just going to say too, just so people know, we like, we, I mean, I think we factor track record in, but that's probably down the list of, uh, 
requirements. So these guys weren't necessarily picked because they were close. They're just that talented. And also a little bit of a, a perfect storm in that we all know Guerrero and Eli Jimenez, who are one and three, should have been in the big leagues last year. They weren't called out for service time considerations. Robles, if he doesn't get hurt, he probably gets the call that went to Juan Soto, and he probably graduates. And if Kyle Tucker hit a little bit better, he probably would have stuck with the Astros and graduated too. So a little bit unusual, you know, if things have worked out a little bit differently for these five top five guys might not even have qualified. And Nick Sandell, I guess you could say the same thing. I think he could have hit his way to Cincinnati last year if he hadn't been hurt too. So really if circumstances had been only slightly different, you know, maybe we'd be talking about, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. is number one and he got hurt also. And Royce Lewis is number two. Yeah, amazing how things can change like that. All right, all right. Guerrero's number one. No surprise. We knew he would be number one. Everybody has him number one on their list. And Jim, you have a story up on the site about where does he fit basically historically? Is this guy the best prospect ever? I think the answer is, and if you read the article, it, it comes through pretty clearly, no, um, not the answer. And um that is because he is somewhat limited defensively. But how about on the hitting side, Jim? And in the, all the people you talked to, um, it seemed like you got the idea that, no, maybe not the best prospect ever because he doesn't have the defense. But when it comes to hitting, there's probably nobody better. Yeah, it's interesting because <laughs> I don't know if I've ever written a story that got so much Twitter feedback where people clearly didn't read the story because I had people saying, oh, there's no, how can you say he's the best prospect ever? You know, A-Rod and Griffey. And I clearly say in the story, I, the thing you just brought up, Tim, is that that those guys were, were hitters on the same level as Guerrero. And one guy wound up being a gold glove shortstop in the big leagues and a 40-40 guy. That was A-Rod. And the other guy, Griffey, won 10 gold gloves in center field. And so that you can't say he's better than those guys. And I don't think if you're looking back at the tools at the time when they got to the big leagues, you could say he's better than Trout. You know, Trout didn't have that kind of power, but he was that kind of hitter. He was an 80 runner. And obviously we've seen what he can do defensively in the big leagues too. Um, I think, you know, in the 30 years I've been covering it and the consensus of guys I talked to, a-Rod is probably the best prospect to be able to do what he did at shortstop and he and was in the big leagues at 18, not to stay, was pretty amazing. But then, it, like you said, Tim, if you ask the second part of the question, you know, what about if you're just talking about offense, you know, hitting and hitting for power? Um, I don't know. It, it, you know it, it's so subjective. And so while it's not necessarily unanimous by any means that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the best hitting prospect ever – I think the way I framed it is it's hard to find anybody better. Like you could put him up there, you know, with anybody. I mean, he had, you know, if you're looking at the great prospects of the last you know, 20 or 30 years, he was a, a better hitter, significantly better hitter than Andrew Jones or Bryce Harper. He had more power than Chipper Jones or Joe Maurer or Trout. Um, you know, I, I, anything you want. I wrote this line. Like if you're drawn up a hitter, yeah, you, I mean, you Vlad's got bat speed, strength, no holes in the swing, unbelievable hand-eye coordination, pitch recognition, uses the whole field, can hit the ball out to any part of the ballpark. He never seems off balance. It, it, it's all really easy. If you were trying to build the perfect offensive prospect, the only thing you might do differently is maybe you make him left-handed. You know, he, you know, his dad put up similar numbers in, in the minors, but he was two years older because he started his career later. And, and Vlad has better pitch selection. I mean, Jonathan, we got asked when we did the top one prospect show, uh, Greg Amsinger knows that we both are kind of crazy for Vlad. And he said, better hitter, him or his dad. And, and I, and these things always sound ridiculous 
But, you know, if you're looking at the time that those guys got to the big leagues, you'd say that Vlad Jr. was a better hitter than Vlad Sr. because he had much better discipline. I mean, the, the guy who he gets compared to the most is Miguel Cabrera. And Miguel Cabrera actually had a very pedestrian minor league numbers, although he was very, very young. Um, the best statistical resemblance is probably Gary Sheffield, who probably has the quickest bat. I think would be the consensus of anybody the scouts have ever seen the last 30 years. And probably the, the guy who'd be right there with him, if you're comparing him would be Manny Ramirez, like, like Manny Ramirez before Vlad came in the conversation would probably get the most votes as the best young hitting prospect people have ever seen. Um, you know, just as, as a pure, you know, offense and, and bat guy, you know, people ask about Pujols, Pools kind of came out of nowhere and was just in the minors for one year. So nobody really had time to figure out what he was, but, but yeah, it, it's hard to find a guy that you'd say, yeah, that guy's clearly a better hitting prospect than Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Although people killed me on Twitter for like, I, I'm not saying he's better than all these guys we're comparing him, but I, I, I do think, I, I do think it's hard not to envision a guy this good becoming a hall of famer. Um, and I got killed for that on Twitter too. Like, oh, let this guy play uh, before you start doing that. But like, he's unbelievable. Jonathan, when you uh, talk about him as a hitter, and Jim mentioned this in the story, I think a lot of people picture his dad and think he's probably just a wild free swinger and has great bat to ball skills. But he's he's more advanced than that, isn't he? For especially for his age. Oh, way more advanced. I mean, the the bat to ball skills are similar uh, in that he doesn't strike out a lot. And he is capable of expanding the zone, except that he he doesn't. Uh, you know, I think what's amazing is that he uh, he draws. I think he's more like his dad at the end of his uh, of dad's career. You know, where you look at, at Vlad Senior's numbers as his major league career went on, the the plate discipline improved. He drew more walks. He could still expand the zone and hit bad balls like no one we've ever seen. Uh, but he became a speed hitter in that regard as as he progressed. Uh, Vlad Jr. has that already. Uh, you know, he will wait for pitches. He is happy to uh, flick a ball the other way with a runner on third for a single because he knows that you need to get that run in. I mean, he, he is such an advanced hitter that it's not just I swing at everything and my my you know bat to ball skills are so ridiculous that that's what makes me good all that is true but he also recognizes pitches lets things go that he doesn't want to hit works to to favorable counts all of those things and that's that's what moves him from like really really good great hitter to this like elite level hitter that we run out of superlatives for the great players do things easy and, and you know, we both got to see a good amount of Vlad in the in the Arizona Fall League and he just makes it look easy like you don't like one of the guys I talked to talked about how you never see him like off balance or, you know, you like wild swings. I mean, it's it just like it's a very easy swing and it seems like the ball comes off the bat at like, you know, 110 miles every time. You know, it was fun. I remember talking to Nico Horner on the last day there's in a fall league season. Who Nico, you know, snuck on the end of our top 100 and he's Cubs first round pick last year. 
And uh, I think the plan was to move Nico around, but he wanted to play mostly short. And he played, I, I think, a game or two at third. And I asked him about that. And, he, and Nico was like, yeah, the first game he ever played at third in his life was in the Fall Stars game. And the first ball he has to make a play on is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a ball. I think the stack has to exit velocity was like 113 miles an hour right at Nico's head. And he said, like, I don't know if I want to play more third base after that. He said it was unbelievable how hard and how quick that ball got to him. Um, but, you know, like, you watch Guerrero play, and it just seems like – yeah, everybody always talks about, and there it's it's different types of pride, but like Hunter Green, when you watch him pitch, like Hunter Green's got the easiest 100 miles an hour you've ever seen. It, it doesn't look like he's really exerting himself, and it's just so fluid, and bam, you know, 102. And Vlad's like that at the plate. It doesn't even seem like he's swinging hard, and he just barrels everything up. You know, it's it's you know, and it's like I don't even know what his weakness would be offensively. I mean, he hits breaking balls. He hits change-ups. He hits all four quadrants of the zone. He doesn't chase. And it's just like, it just seems like he just very casually strolls up there and bam, there's another 110 mile an hour line drive somewhere. Certainly impressive. All right, let's move down the list a little bit and talk about guys who have made their debut on the preseason top 100 in big spots. And then the two guys that, that stick out, Jonathan, and you wrote the article kind of summing all this up, uh, Alex Kirilov and um, Wander Franco, both in the top 15 a year ago. They weren't even on the list. Two different reasons, though. Let's start with Kirilov. He had the injury. That's why he wasn't on the top 100. But last year, he just proved that he was what what I think you guys thought he was before the injury, right? Yeah, and it's sad that I have to talk about Alex Kirilov again. Um, but uh, I, I will. I will. Um, He's the Pittsburgh guy. The Pittsburgh guy, You're right? Welcome. So I, I, I specifically did not talk about him on, on the TV show for that reason because I feel that he is the guy that I always talk about, um, just like Jim always talks about Mackenzie Gore, uh, but didn't. Um, uh, but, yeah, so yeah, the thing with Kirloff is we didn't know. You know, he was a middle-of-the-first-round draft pick out of high, you know, high school and a program in, in a cold-weather state. Like, we, everyone – like the bat, he had a really good pro day in the Appalachian League, so it was encouraging. He was kind of right on the cusp of the top 100, and then he had the elbow injury. So we kind of like, well, we need to take a wait and see uh, approach. So he was on the bubble. He moved in as you know, uh, we we make sense as grad guys graduate off. He moved in pretty quickly, and then just you know, kind of kept moving up. And so his debut. Here is like when, when we look at the risers, it's from preseason list to preseason list. Uh, the jump that he made was not really as vast because he had been moving up the list with our re-rank in July. But yeah, he was one of a handful of the best pure hitters in all the minor leagues last year. Uh, hit for average across two levels of A-ball. The power really started to come. Um, uh, he showed that left-handed swing in the Futures game. Uh, you know, so... He, he kind of lived up to what the hype was as a first-round pick. We just hadn't seen it. So now that we got a full year of it, uh, I'm excited to see what he does with the move up to double A and, and how quickly he can move. He, he just can flat-out hit. And then Jim, on the other side, I mentioned Franco being a different story. His story is that he's only 17 years old. He's just a kid, and he's showing what he could be still a ways away, but he has uh, caught everybody's attention. Yeah, I mean, he hadn't played. I mean, we, we knew he was as good as any international player in that 2017 signing period. And, you know, this came up on the show, too. 
the great gamester asked me for comp and i said well you know he's kind of like the next vladimir guerrero jr now <laughs> i'm not saying that we're good maybe i'll be writing a story in three years asking if, if wander franca is the best offensive prospect of all time but like you know vlad went to the the, the appy league and impressed you like straight out of the straight out of international ball making his pro debut most of the time the guys you know either go to dominican summer league or complex league and vlad hit 271 with 808 ops and everybody was like wow yeah that's an unbelievable year for a 17 year old in the Appy league i mean average age is probably closer to 21 well wander franco went to the same league at age 17 last year and hit 351 with a thousand four ops and he was the Appy league mvp unbelievable power um i'm not saying he's gonna be better than vlad he offers more defensive upside than vlad i think he'll move off short and, and probably be a third baseman, but you know these two guys, Kirilov and and Franco, you know, are probably going to be in the top three or four prospects by the end of the year. Um, wouldn't surprise me if either one of them was number one. Um, and it's just I'm really excited. You know, like Jonathan said about Kirilov, I'm really excited to see what Franco does. I mean, Vlad kind of broke out, you know, even more so his second year, and then destroyed the minors in his third year, and. I think Franco can have the same kind of impact. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's a switch hitter. He can play shortstop. Um, he's a plus runner right now. And I, I think it's a very, very special, special bat. And we very well could be talking about him as the number one prospect in baseball a year from now. And we saw him, how many guys are going to graduate. So that certainly makes a lot of sense as he continues to make the climb. And he could just be, he'll just be a teenager at that point as well. All right. For two more years. Yeah. <laughs> Other guys who rose from on the list a year ago, but into the upper half and, and higher on the list this year. Um, Carter Keyboom. Jonathan, he goes from 90 all the way up to 25. It looked like for a part of this offseason, like he may have a huge role in Washington this season. Uh, they since have added uh, Brian Dozier. So they can take their time a little bit more with Carter Keyboom, but he's certainly pushing the issue. Uh, he is, uh, but the, I think pumping the brakes is really not a bad idea. I'm talking about a guy who uh, you know, has a total less than 250 at-bats above of a of a ball. Now, clearly the nationals don't worry about that. And they've had success. You look at what Juan Soto did a year ago, but I think you could, if you really wanted to send him to, to double a to start the year and then move him once he sort of conquered that level, uh, we talked to him at the rookie career development program. And there were things that he knows he needs to work on uh, from the, from the move to double a, although he more than held his own uh, given, you know, how, how young he is, he was 20. Uh, at, at the time, and will play all all this year at 21. So whether he's in Double A AA or Triple A, there, there's no shame in having him uh, spend a full season uh, in Triple A and then be ready uh, if if need be. Um, you know, he, he got some reps at second, so he can move back and forth between short and second base. Uh, so if there is a need at the big league level, uh, you know, he'll he'll be just about ready. Give him. You know, some more reps, get him past the whole Super 2 thing uh, uh, so you don't worry about starting his clock. Uh, not that the Nationals always worry about that, but I think he's in a really good uh, spot uh, for the Nationals right now. The other big riser mathematically is Austin Riley, who goes from 95 to 38. Similar, that looked like he might have a spot um, in the Braves' left side of the infield at some point this season, but they went they went out this offseason and signed Josh Donaldson. Hey, Jim, how about other guys that have just moved up in general, guys that have moved into the top 20? Yeah, you know, it, well, there's two guys, and there's a guy who just missed, you know, 
going into last season, we actually had these three guys all in a row. We had Jesus Luzardo at number 60, which was kind of bold, I felt at the time, Jonathan, you know, because he hadn't really pitched a whole lot. We thought he had the upside to to really, you know, maybe become the best left-handed pitching prospect in the game, and he did. I, I don't think he had pitched in full season ball coming into the year, but he jumped all the way from 60 to 12. And number 61, we had Dylan Cease, who wound up, you know, being the pipeline pitching prospect of the year, you know, started to throw a few more strikes, started to put the Tommy John surgery further behind him. You know, Lizardo's another Tommy John guy too. And, and Cease just has a devastating fastball curveball combination. He's at number 21. Um, and, and then Joe Adele is at number 62. And he's all the way up to 14 after reaching double A in his first full season. We, and we knew this guy had some of the best tools in the 2017 draft. And it's funny, and, and you know, I do Kentucky, so it was more on my watch. There was a lot of concern about Joe Adele's ability to hit pro pitching, whether he was going to be a big swing and miss guy, make enough contact. Yeah, the tools are great, but is he going to hit? Well, he hit his way all the way to double A this year. So um, three guys, you know, it, it's always interesting to look at this, you know, guys who are ranked – you know, not really in the upper half of the list at all. And then you, a year later, you, you look up and, and there's guys who, some from that group are among the best prospects in baseball. So certainly guys on the rise, and that means other guys are always kind of on falling for whatever reason. It can be injuries, it can be other things. So let's talk about a few of them. Jonathan, I'll go back to you about Austin Hayes, who was number 23 on this list a year ago. He had that huge 2017 season where he really skyrocketed through the Orioles system. Uh, got his chance at the big leagues last year, was expected to be a big part of the big league team, and it kind of went the other way. Um, now that you look a year later at Austin Hayes, did people maybe give him too much credit for 2017 or does he just need a little more time to, to catch up to that? I think we need to, to wait and, and see what happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, we were caught off guard, uh, in 2017. Obviously we didn't have him ranked highly at all. Someone had said that he'd be the first guy from the 2016 draft class to make it to the big leagues. I don't think any of us would have believed that. And it looked like he was ready, you know, in, in 2018 to, to make an impact. Uh, the, I'm not saying you give him a, a, a mulligan. Uh, Cause obviously if it were full mulligan, maybe we would still think about ranking him because he really struggled and never really got going. Uh, he did show some power, but uh, injuries played a part. And I think uh, he just couldn't get himself on track. So I'm, wait and see what he does uh in 2019 hit the reset button uh you know he is yet to actually play an inning in of triple a baseball because he went straight from double a to the big leagues and then was in double a last year and then got hurt uh, i was actually a little surprised when he got sent to double a last year given the fact that he had a 960 ops in double a in 2017 in his time there but so i, I i'm willing to to let him see if he can sort of right the ship, but he, he, he's got a, a lot of, of writing of, of said ship to do. I'm with you 100% on that too, Jonathan. If Tim had asked me that, I would have answered the same way. Uh, I don't know who the real Austin Hayes is. I, I, I think you mentioned, you know, I, he got off to a really slow start last year because he got hurt in spring training, actually. And I think that's why they sent him to double A so he could kind of get his feet back on the ground because he missed so much time in spring training. And he never did, and then he got hurt in Double A. So, like, I'm with you. I, I have no idea what to what, what to expect of Austin Hayes, and we'll find out more when we see what he does this year when he's healthy again. Jim, other guys fell off the list from a year ago as well. Another one who fell from pretty high up, Leotis Tavares of the Rangers. 
Yeah, and that's probably my fault because as much as anybody's, because he made like one of our earlier versions of the list, and I do our Rangers stuff, and I like Leody a lot, and I've always advocated for him in the past, and I kind of, I did a 180, not that I don't like him as a prospect anymore, but I just think we have to see this guy produce at the plate. I mean, he was one of the best athletes, his international class, and you could still see that. I mean, he can really run. He's a, he's a chance to be a really good defender in center field, you know, gold glove, elite type defender out there. He throws well. Um, and he really does a good job of putting the bat on the ball. And he's super young. He was 19 last year, second youngest regular, I think only by five days in the Carolina League. But the last two years, he just hasn't made much impact with the bat. He's, he's made contact, but he hit 246 last year. He slugged 332. 312 on base. I mean, that's a 644 ops. It's similar numbers in low A. And so while he's been really pushed aggressively for how young he is, I, I felt, and I kind of advocated, look, why don't we like make him hit his way back on the list? Cause as tooled up as he is with the non-offensive tools and, the, and he, as much as he can put the bat on the ball, there just hasn't been any impact. Um, and so that, that's a huge concern. So, um, I think that's what happened with him. I, I do think the way we do, you know, our kind of in-season market corrections, if he drives the ball, you know, for the first six weeks of the 2018 season, I bet you see him back on the or 2019 season. I bet you see him back on the list. And that's a great reminder that you guys do do the market corrections now, which is neat, and it helps to keep this list fresh as the year goes on. All right, so we've got risers and fallers. Let's talk about teams now, um, and we'll talk about prospect points, which does not mean this is necessarily the best minor league systems in baseball because it's just talking about the top 100 list. You get points for where the guys fall, stand on the list. Um, if I'm right, Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong, Vlad Jr. gets the Blue Jays 100 points for being number one. Uh, number two gets 99 points, number three, 98, so on and so on down the list. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, I figured it out after all these years. Okay, so the top three teams as far as prospect points go, Padres are number one. They have 10 players on the list, 574 points. The Braves are two, eight players, 429 points. And the White Sox are number three. They have six players and 397 points. And obviously those are three extremely good systems right now. I want to go through each of them. Let's start with the Padres. Jim, I'll go to you first on this one. Um, so much pitching, so much left-handed pitching. Um, most people kind of are pointing to 2020 as the year where maybe this team starts to surprise at the big league level. But we've seen teams do it early. Is there a possibility that the Padres could surprise people this year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, one of my favorite things to say, I always say, I don't know which team it'll be, but these teams with great farm systems often – surprised at the big league level a year earlier than expected. We saw it with the Cubs and Astros a couple of years ago, and they went on to win World Series. We saw it with the Brewers, who kind of emerged as a surprise contender in 2017 and nearly went to World Series last year. We saw the Braves win a division title sooner than people expected last year. So, yeah, I think it's possible. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because, yeah, you, you, you focus on or, or the thing, if you're looking positionally, the lefties jump out, you know, with my, my love affair with Mackenzie Gore, but Adrian Morhone and, and Logan Allen and Ryan Weathers are all in the top 100. And then you got a million other pitchers too, but you also have Fernando Tatis, Luis Urias, and Francisco Mejia, who are all among the 30 best prospects in baseball as hitters, all of whom have, you know, Mejia has been in the big leagues, Urias has been in the big leagues. Tatis, I think we would have seen him at least a AAA if he hadn't gotten hurt last year. 
those guys aren't far away from making an impact in the big leagues either. And a lot of these pitchers are close. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's possible. Um, I, I think they're clearly not necessarily just because of the prospect points, but if you like, they're to me clearly far and away the best farm system in baseball. I think they've got the, the most impressive array of high end talent. I think they've got also the best depth, and those two don't always go hand in hand. And I also think it's a really nice balance of hitting and pitching. It's 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 a crazy, crazy good farm system. And you mentioned Tatis and Jonathan, while Vlad is the number one overall prospect, Tatis right there at number two, and he's the guy that does have the overall package as a shortstop who can get it done defensively. Yeah, I mean he he is he is he can do it all. I mean that's the one. You know, the one thing that he has, I guess, over 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 Vladdy is, you know, uh, he's almost definitely going to stay at short. And if he doesn't, he'll make, you know, maybe he's a gold glove third baseman. Uh, he prides himself on staying at short. He can run. Uh, so he is the he is the proverbial five tool player. I can't wait to see any all these guys in the big leagues and, and soon. And I agree. I think the Padres could be uh, one of those teams that takes that like step forward uh large step forwards this uh this coming year and we saw the braves do just that last year when they made it to the playoffs and they still have so many more players coming now the question is because jonathan we've seen a lot of these players make it up to the big leagues and they're obviously starring roles at the major league level whether it's uh, acuna or albies or around the diamond and pitchers as well um, but now you get to the point where you got to make decisions, right, on who you keep and who you trade because there's no room in Atlanta for all these pitching prospects. Right, unless they want to go with like a, you know, an 11-man rotation. Uh, and there's more coming. I mean, they have guys who are you know, not on the top 100 who are solid pitching prospects. Kyle Muller, Joey Wentz. You can tell I've been working on the Braves' uh, top 30 list. Uh, but, um, you know, there's so much talent there. Now, uh, invariably a couple guys will end up in a bullpen uh, whether Bryce Wilson ends up in a bullpen eventually we'll, we'll see. Uh, and even if it's just because of that's the only place for him to, to have a role in the big leagues, but then they can use that pitching depth and, and, and trade for position pieces that they might need. You know, there's no catching depth in the, in the system really. So if they decide that they need to go out and get a catcher, there's one really good catching prospect in the system. They could go and do that. You know, I'm reminded of the giants from many, many years ago where they would just draft pitching and pitching and pitching. Dick Chidro was like big on, we're going to bring in so many pitchers and they had all these pitching prospects. And then, you know, a lot of those pitching prospects never made it to San Francisco. They were used in trades to bring in, uh, big league talent, and that's why the Giants were at or near the top of the NL West for, for you know, for for a long time. That they would kind of continually do that. And the Braves are in a position where they're really young at every position. There's depth at a number of positions, and all that pitching depth they can use that strength because people are always looking for young, controllable pitching. And we've talked about or we've heard discussions about, you mentioned catching uh, Real Muto and the possibility of them making a move like that. They seem to be not one of the leading contenders right now as far as that goes, but there's still time for them to pull a trigger on something like that. All right, the one other team I wanted to mention was the White Sox checking in at number three. 
Um, and they are trying to make that big splash to contend now. And it's a situation where they know the prospects are coming and they're trying to add the big time veteran piece in a Machado or a Harper to go with it. The good thing that the White Sox have on their side too, Jim, is the division is very much up for grabs. It's important, right, for a team to realize when the window is opening. Yeah, and I don't, I don't feel like the White Sox really feel like 2019 it's open. I, I'd kind of put them in the same category as the Padres where – if things break right with their pitching staff, they could surprise. Um, I mean, I do. It seems like we could do a whole podcast. I'm sure, Tim, a whole podcast you do this has come up. Like, I don't know why more teams aren't striking on Machado and Harper, and the White Sox seem determined to come away with at least one of those guys, which would be a huge upgrade. And if you do that and one of those guys has a big year and the pitching comes through, um, you know, Rodon made some strides last year. Reynaldo Lopez made some strides last year. Um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it all comes together for him. But yeah, I think this is going to be a team to, to no pun intended, really contend with in a couple of years, uh, you know, probably more 2020, but you know, it could be earlier, but you know, they've got a number, you know, Eloy Jimenez is going to join the team this year. He's going to be a huge impact. You know, we talked about Cease. He could be up this year if they wanted. Luis Robert, you know, finally stayed healthy and had electric tools in the fall league. You know, Nick Madrigal was probably the best pure hitter in last year's draft. They've got a ton of outfielders coming. Uh, they still have high hopes for Zach Collins behind the plate, and, and they have pitching depth too. So um, it's going to be interesting. I, I think this might be more of a year where maybe the White Sox make a leap to like 75, 77 wins, and then next year they take the next step. But, yeah, you know, they're, they're definitely on the rise. You mentioned Madrigal. Jonathan, Yohan Mankata was – a number was the number one prospect in in baseball a few years ago. Um, have we soured on him at this point? And Madrigal's obviously on the way up as a second baseman at some point um, in the next couple of years. Um, how did how do you feel about Yoan Mankata now? I know he's not a prospect anymore, but it just hasn't seemed to come all together yet. It, it hasn't. Um, there are um, a number of uh, positive things. Uh, you know, the power started showing up a little bit more. The strikeout rate is just, you know, uh, 17 strikeouts is uh, is ridiculous. And he needs to, um, uh, you know, he really needs to work on that. He did draw some walks to help offset it. He's still so young. I, I'm not I'm not giving up on him yet. Uh, and they can decide what they want to do in terms of positions, uh, you know, down the road. I don't think it's going to take magical long to, to get there. Uh, I think that Yohan Mankata is athletic enough uh, that he could play a number of different positions while Nick magical is really only going to play second base. I mean, could you play him at shortstop and get away with it? Yeah, it probably would be okay. Uh, but he's really a second baseman and maybe Mankata moves to the outfield. Uh, you know, they, they, they'll cross that bridge when they get there. So I, I think there's plenty of time for Yohan Mankata to, to bring all of those incredible tools uh, into sharper focus. And, um, you know, he's, what, 23? Uh, you know, so he turns 24 in May. He's really, really young. So I, there's time yet. Uh, I think he needs to go out and prove that, that the tools will play. Um, but, you know, considering that he really has just one full big league season under his belt, it's too soon to – you know, to decide that uh, the the luster. 
Jim, I know you used to use the the term you used to throw out um, Robinson Cano with speed, and he still has those tools. I feel like sometimes, too, like Jonathan's point, he's only had one full year at the big league level. Um, do we give up on these guys sometimes too soon? Where it's really hard to be a major league ball player. Yeah, I, I think fans do. I, I don't think necessarily Jonathan or I do because we've covered this stuff and, and development isn't linear. I mean, look, he still has the tools that made him, you know, the best prospect in baseball and, and you know, the centerpiece of a Chris Sale trade uh, that helped the Red Sox win a championship. But uh, like Jonathan was saying, he clearly needs to make adjustments. Look, I mean, the electric bat speed's still there. He hit 17 homers and had 55 extra base hits. He he stole 12 bases. I mean, that's kind of a product of today's game. I mean, he could steal 30 bases easily in a season if, if he got the green light. Um, he drew 67 walks, which is encouraging. But he just needs to – I mean, well, I guess we're going to find out a lot about him this year, I think, because, like, you can't, I know you can't just make a wave a magic wand and all of a sudden the guy's going to be a good hitter. But you can, after you strike out 217 times – make some adjustments and work on your pitch recognition and, you know, not chase as much, you know, you're going to have to tone down the aggressiveness a little bit. I mean, I still think, you know, he's a, you know, he could be a 260, 270 hitter in that park. I mean, he's got 30 homer upside. He could be a 30, 30 guy if it comes together for him. And like Jonathan was saying, like the weird thing is I agree hundred percent. Like he's got that blessism to play almost anywhere in the diamond because he can throw and he can run. But, like, I've, the one thing that's always bothered me a little bit about him as a prospect, even when he's coming up, is, like, that guy should be a good defensive player. Like, he, he's, he's, he's a good athlete with a good arm. He's got all the tools. And he's really kind of average at best. And I never understood that. I don't know if it's that he doesn't work on it as much or, or put as much time into it. But he's, you know, at second base, he's okay. You mentioned Madrigal. Madrigal's got a chance to be a gold glover. Jonathan did our all-defense team of prospects in the minors, and Madrigal was the second baseman. So I think when Madrigal's ready, let's say, you know, sometime, you know, next year, you know, I think Mankata probably goes to the outfield, and, and he's going to have to produce more at the play. I, I, he's another guy. I mean, you can say this about a lot of guys. I use this expression all the time. I'm very curious to see what Yohan Mankata does this year because, as Jonathan pointed out, it, it, you know, for guys throughout 217 times, there were some positives, um, but now he's got to make some adjustments. And if he doesn't make the adjustments this year, then, yeah, I think I might sour on him as maybe a guy who's too stubborn to make those adjustments, but we'll have to wait and see. All right, there's a lot more information available on MLB Pipeline about this list. Let's talk about the best tools in the top 100 list, um, all sorts of stuff, defensive side of things. So make sure you check that out. All the writings by Jim and Jonathan and Mike Rosenbaum as well. That's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We'll keep talking about these prospects in the next coming weeks and hopefully have some guests on to talk about it as well. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thank you for listening. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.